the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're glad to have you with us. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blind is producing. Today we're going to talk with Charlie Dawes. He is the author of Simple Prayer, Learning to Speak to God with Ease. The book is published by InterVarsity Press. And by the way, he has a George Fox University connection. We'll tell you more about that later in the program. We're also going to talk with Morgan Smith. She used to be an afternoon host on our sister station, The Fish. She now lives in Houston, Texas. We're going to talk to her about what she's witnessing from her vantage point there. She is an afternoon host at a local radio station there. What she's going to say to her people as they are um, devastated by the floodwaters, uh, we'll talk with her about that as well. So we're looking forward to a conversation with Morgan Smith, which, by the way, I should mention, I uh, actually had to have with her earlier in the day because she is an afternoon host, albeit the time change. So we'll uh, hear what she has to say. We wanted to talk about uh, the crippling um, the, the devastating hurricane in Houston. Harvey has uh, left a deluge. Millions are facing days of flooding. Uh, it was pummeled again today after a brief respite as the uh, storm known as Harvey stalled over the region uh, for just a very brief period of time, submerging uh, countless homes and businesses, turning freeways into rivers and prompting thousands to plead for help. In fact, as nightfall approaches, many are concerned about those who remain stranded uh, without rescue, and they're expecting uh, more than two dozen inches of rain over the next 24 hours. According to the National Weather Service, residents expect another 24 inches, the return of tropical storm force winds, high floodwaters. Uh, the Weather Service has issued flood watches and warnings from San Antonio to New Orleans and an area that um, is home to more than 13 million people. I was listening earlier today and they tell us that the shelters are near capacity and they're not sure what they're going to do with those who may still be coming or those who have been left behind. The unprecedented storm is likely to uh, displace at least 30,000 people. It's cut off uh, power to 300,000 residents, led to five reported deaths, 2,000 rescues, while inundating the nation's fourth largest city with over 11 trillion gallons of water. Well, schools, airports, and office buildings remain closed today, of course, as city officials asked residents to remain calm in the face of disaster. This is a landmark event in Texas. Brock Long, who's FEMA's administrator, told reporters, uh, noting that his agency expects at least 450,000 people to file for disaster assistance. Texas has never seen an event like this before. Well, Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner uh, said that there are already 5,500 people in shelters, and that number is expected to rise, with Dallas ready the key Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center to hold another 5,000 evacuees. And again, we're talking about the possibility of 30,000 people being displaced. Well, rain from the tropical storm Harvey is uh, falling still. Uh, Long said on Monday that 30 to 50 counties are possibly impacted by the storm and flooding in Texas beyond 
uh, Houston and that southwest Louisiana, which President Trump approved a declaration of emergency for, will also see a tremendous amount of rainfall. Now, rainfall totals already range from 20 to 39 inches across southeast Texas. Harvey's onslaught is predicted to continue for the next few days as the storm swirls around the southwestern U.S. coast, briefly heads offshore, then makes another landfall. Some communities in the Houston area will likely see 50 inches of rain by the time it's over. Although the mandatory evacuations were announced for some smaller uh, cities and counties along the coast, no such order came through for the Houston's 2.3 million residents, a decision that some have questioned. And most roads in the, the city are now impassable, littered with abandoned cars and trucks, not to mention high water. Texas Governor Greg Aft, uh, Abbott rather activated the city's entire National Guard, deploying some 12,000 service members. To respond to the devastation, in addition, 16 aircraft are conducting day and night-wide area searches, search and rescue missions along the Texas coast from Corpus Christi all the way to Houston. Well, during a press conference this afternoon, Governor Abbott thanked the immeasurable, courageous, heroic first responders. Uh, They were able to evacuate so many people and minimize the loss of life, he said, noting it's remarkable they were able to save so many. He expressed gratitude to local leaders for their unparalleled leadership, as well as Texans looking out and rescuing their friends and neighbors, looking out for one another. In fact, that was reflected in uh, Morgan Smith's uh, comments, which you'll hear in just a few moments. We are just beginning the process of responding to this storm. He went on to say, we are still involved in the search and rescue process. As I listened to news reports earlier, Earlier today, there was uh, concern expressed about uh, how many bodies might be found as a result of the receding waters or the search and rescue continuing once conditions are a bit better. We uh, certainly are in prayer for Houston and the surrounding area in the wake of this devastating storm. Uh, The governor there, he noted that uh, the next steps are protecting and preserving life, rescuing every life that we can, helping Texans get access to the necessities they must have, food, water, supplies, and power. Uh, We have uh, points of distribution that are set up uh, in every county. He went on to say Texas is at the early stages of turning back on power. Restoration of power is one of the biggest needs at this point. He gave out a website for citizens uh, in need, and he went on to say we need to recognize that there uh, will be a new normal, a new and different normal, and we won't stop until we get as far as we can. Well, desperate residents have taken to social media to plead for help, posting images of their families stranded at uh, uh, home as floodwaters continue to rise. Uh, Long said on Monday that we need citizens to be involved because the storm and resulting floods is greater than the government can handle. People need help, and we're working to provide it. The acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Elaine Duke, said, Earlier today, this morning, in fact, during a news conference saying that Harvey is still a dangerous and historic storm. Well, it's one thing to read about the devastation, to see the images, to have compassion and empathy for those who are suffering. It's another to know how to respond and then being willing to respond. And I am delighted to let you know that KPDQ and our sister station is partnering with Save the Children. Uh, Their focus is on families, and we've been hearing stories of how children um, are in a dangerous situation in some of these shelters that babies do not have cribs, they don't have the necessities to uh, simply thrive in this kind of environment, Save the Children is there on the ground to provide what is needed. And we're encouraging you to come alongside us and Save the Children with a gift of $50 now, and that would provide um, certainly sending the love of Christ to the care and life-saving aid right here, um, from here rather, to Texas where it's desperately needed. Now you can call them at 888 888- 
248-0312. Again, that's 888-248-0312. You can also give online at kpdq.com. We're responding to Hurricane Harvey, and I am so grateful to have something constructive to direct your generosity and compassion toward. And I would encourage you to pick up the phone or log on to kpdq.com. You'll see a banner. The first thing you'll see on the page uh, for Save the Children to uh, help to address the growing needs uh, following Hurricane Harvey in Houston, Texas. Now, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. When we return, you're going to have an opportunity to hear a conversation I had earlier today with Morgan Smith. Uh, Many of you know her as the voice of uh, the Fish Radio Station. She has since moved to Houston, Texas, where she continues in her work as a radio host for a music station there. We're going to talk about uh, uh, her vantage point there in Houston. She's just recently moved into a new home, and she'll give uh, have an opportunity to share with you her perspective on what's happening. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, like most of you, we've been riveted to the television as we've watched the uh, the fallout of Hurricane Harvey. Uh, my next guest is living in North Houston. It's a name that's probably familiar to most of you. Morgan Smith was an afternoon host on the Fish Station, our sister station, uh, just down the way a little bit. She's now the um, afternoon host at KSBJ uh, in Northern Houston, and we are, um, Northern Texas, rather, and we are delighted to talk with you today, although I wish it was under better circumstances. Morgan Smith, thanks so much for joining us. Georgine, I'm so happy to hear your voice. I could cry. It's been such a stressful day. It's nice to hear a friendly voice. Mm. James Blend is in studio with us as well. First of all, let me ask you how you and your family are doing and if you've been impacted by this hurricane. We're okay. Um, so I have a four and a half year old son. He's been at his grandparents all week because we were actually moving this week, which added huge amounts of stress. But we're here. So we're in the new house. Um, it's at the top of a hill in a suburb in the nor- very, very northeastern corner of Houston. So we personally are safe. Um, but our city's underwater, and I have friends that are likely going to lose their home. Mm. So um, while I'm okay and I have power and food and everything, not everyone I love and care for is um, faring as well. Now, of course, we all saw the weather forecast, and, and even the Nath- National Weather Service raising a white flag at one point saying, we, we just don't know what to tell anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. What we, We've seen what's happened so far, and we know there are more quote-unquote, punches coming. What are they telling you right now as to what's coming over the next couple of days? Because this could obviously get much, much worse than it already is. Sure. Well, I mean, a lot of what you know is what we know. But um, what I can say is that they were right. They just, they were right in that the storm kind of rolled in Houston and stalled out and has stayed here. I just think that it's dumped more rain than they ever could have imagined. I mean, you, you watch the local news forecasts or local news reports and you hear people using words like biblical flood and this is unprecedented. You'll hear unprecedented six times in a five-minute newscast because nobody else knows what to say. We have never seen this kind of rain. Um, they are totally doing the best that they can, but it's hard to be prepared for such an unpredictable storm. We are expecting a couple more days of rain. Uh, it depends on which of the forecasts that you look at. It may go back out in the Gulf and load up with more water, and it may keep moving east. We just don't know at this point. Mm. 
Mm. Now, we're seeing images on television of rescue efforts and people who are stranded waiting to be rescued. Paint a picture for us of what it's like for you living in Houston, although from a vantage point where, where you and your family are safe, but knowing that others in your, your town uh, are suffering. What is it like for you there now? It's hard, Georgine. Um, I have friends who are the outdoorsman types, and they have boats and big trucks, and they have been out for days um, just rescuing people from their homes. There are websites that are set up where people can go on and um, say where they are and that they need help, and just their neighbors, their friends, people who live in the area will come in motorboats and kayaks. There's a whole group of people that have headed here. They call themselves the Cajun Navy, and they've headed here from Louisiana in airboats, and they're just just driving around neighborhoods rescuing people and putting their own lives at risk. Um, It's really hard to know that this is happening, but I think it really shows the heart of Houston and really the big heart that you hear about in the South. Like, that's how people really are. We've heard from both the mayor and the governor making that point that Texans are pulling together and we're seeing evidence of that. We here in Portland, clear over on the West Coast, uh, we want to respond in practical ways to uh, help those who have lost everything, those who for a period of time may be in shelters and and struggling. Um, Can you just give us a a reason why we here on the West Coast ought to be uh, concerned and generous in our response uh, to reaching out to our neighbors uh, clear over in Houston? Well, I think one of the reasons is because it's a great way to show the love of Christ to people, honestly. Mm -hmm. There are so many people who are just hurting and desolate and desperate who have lost everything to move into a shelter and just not know if you're going to have a house to go back to. We have over 30,000 people in shelters right now. This is a storm that we will be recovering from, not for days or weeks, but years. There are people who may not even get back to their homes because of dams and um, flooding in lakes, they may not get back to their homes for months is the report. And so I really think it's an important way just to show the love of Christ to people and to understand that we're in this together. You know, like I said about the people from Louisiana coming to help, Houston was one of the big response efforts when Hurricane Katrina struck, and I've heard people from Louisiana saying, it's our turn now, we're going to come help you. And, you know, it's not like nothing bad ever happens in the Pacific Northwest. And so I think it's a great opportunity for us to show love to Absolutely. Each other. Absolutely. You're an afternoon host, as I mentioned, at KSBJ. Uh, this afternoon, you're going to take to the airwaves. What will your message be to your listeners? Really, again, just that we want to love and take care of one another. I, I remember hearing a quote from Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, about when there is something tragic happening, we should look for the helpers because there are always helpers. And we have seen so many of those people. And in a world that just seems so divided, where we fight about things day in and day out, it's um, very heartening to see people come together at a time when it really matters and to realize that so much of what we fight about just has no consequence. Yeah, yeah. Well, Morgan Smith, it's so wonderful to hear your voice here on the West Coast, even if it's just for a few moments. And I'm grateful that you're there to offer some comfort to your listeners uh, there in in Texas. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to talk with us. We're going to continue our efforts to provide uh, practical resource and financial help to those who are suffering. And uh, we appreciate so much your being with us today. Thank you, Georgie. Thank you, James. Bye-bye. Again, uh, Morgan Smith. 
uh, formerly on our uh, sister station, The Fish. Now, you're familiar with, uh, with, with Texas. What yeah. does this uh, mean to you as you're seeing and hearing about all that's going on there? You know, it's, it's ultimate irony, actually, in that uh, we had the chance, uh, my wife and I, to visit with Morgan and her family exactly one year ago. Mm. And over the weekend, uh, you know, Facebook on social media gives you these, this is your memory from a year ago. And I'm seeing these pictures from all over Houston, and it just, it really hit me personally because I, you know, the fresh memories of seeing all these places underwater that we had been. Uh, and, uh, you know, my wife and I both looking at these pictures of places we had just visited in such recent memory. Uh, I, I recall it as a beautiful place with beautiful people. And, you know, Morgan talked about the, the spirit there. It, these people will not be broken. Mm-hmm. Their spirit will not be broken. They will band together and they will get by. But uh, you know, it is it is a a town that I'm certainly pulling for. I I, I think it uh, it's it's one of those things. I think as Christians, the thing that we always need to rem- remind ourselves is once the story fades from the headlines, and it will, the need will continue. We're encouraging you to help us raise funds to help save the children, minister to families in particular who uh, have been devastated by Hurricane Harvey. Please go to kpdq.com. Look for the banner, Save the Children, and there you'll find links to give uh, to Save the Children. We're encouraging you to give a gift of $50 or more. That will make a difference for a family whose children, in some cases, whose babies slept in cardboard boxes because there was no place for them and their, uh, their young children in the shelters that are currently available. They are overrun, they're overwhelmed, and you can help. Again, kpdq.com. We'll be back. We're back 34 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, sometimes we struggle to find the time to pray, the words we ought to say, and the way we ought to go about it. But we may be making prayer more complicated than it needs to be. That's what my next guest says. Charlie Dawes is a pastor and professor who understands both the desire and the challenge of deepening our prayer lives. And he's written a book to help us along that path. The book is titled Simple Prayer, Learning to Speak to God with Ease. Now, how many of us uh, would love to do just that? Well, Charlie Dawes, by the way, uh, earned his uh, doctorate in ministry at George Fox uh, Evangelical Seminary. He's an Associate Vice President for Student Development at uh, Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. He's also an Assistant Professor in Practical Ministries in the College of Christian Ministries and Religion. He has served the local church for over 17 years as a student and a young adult pastor and worship leader. He's part of a, a slingshot group, a coaching and consulting nonprofit that's dedicated to helping people in churches reach their God-given design and maximize their effectiveness. He joins us once again to, to uh, talk about about his book, Simple Prayer. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, truly an honor. Well, prayer is a subject that um, makes some of us shift in our chairs because we're not really sure what God's expectations are, what are what requirements there are placed on us, what words we should use in order that we uh, will be heard. And yet your book is titled Simple Prayer that takes sort of the, the uh, tension out of this effort to communicate with God, uh, the God who so longs to have relationship with us. Sure. Uh, and for me, to be, to be quite honest, I think I wrote the book for me, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I just hoped in, in writing it, you know, it, it, might, uh, it might land well with others. Um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, as many of us uh, did, you know, in a, in a Christian home. I grew up in church, and uh, so for me, uh, I was around a lot of praying people. 
Um, and I was around a lot of people that prayed to have a, a, a praying mom. And, um, and for me, I, I, I just started getting anxiety around prayer because I kept thinking I was doing it wrong. Mm. Uh, and I kept thinking that there were these expectations. And I kept thinking, to be quite honest, I just kept thinking I didn't have the right vocabulary. Yeah. Um, I heard other people who, who seemed professional in their prayers. And, and I just started to, uh, to notice uh, in, my, in my late teens, into my 20s, uh, into even my, my 30s, if I'm honest, uh, I I just had this um, this kind of barrier uh, when it came to prayer. And so for me, uh, you know, the book is really uh, kind of diving into that. I share some of my own story and uh, some of my own struggles, but then also uh, the way that you know some of the um, you know some of the the great saints from from church history um, they really kind of came alongside of me and uh, I think mentored me and really helped me uh, to discover. Um, this idea of simple prayer, this idea of prayer being um, so much more than the words we say, um, it really started to help me to realize that maybe my words um, aren't as big a deal in prayer as I had been making them. Uh, and so by being able to get past those words, I was then able to get into a place of, of intimacy with God. And, and if, we're, if we're honest, uh, that's really what we want in prayer. Yeah. Uh, we want to be uh, near God, and we want to sense God near to us. And, uh, and so that our heart might, might, become, might become God's heart. Um, so really, that's the, that's the hope in all of it. I so appreciate your uh, looking back to others who have uh, prayed very simply that may instruct us in how we might approach the God who invites us to come into his presence boldly. Let's talk about what simple prayer is, because the, uh, the listener who doesn't have the, the book in, in hand may assume that you just mean uh, praying in a way that um, doesn't go into great detail. Let's, let's start out by defining what is simple prayer. Yeah, that's great. Um, really, simple prayer um, is, is about recognizing our um, our need for God uh, and recognizing that uh, it's not our words that draw God near to us, um, but God is God is already near. And so, for us, simple prayer really um, finds its root and it finds its origin uh, in the in the wonderful prayer uh, that kind of emerged from the Desert Fathers um, called the the Jesus Prayer. And so, some of our uh, maybe our, our friends that would be in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, um, you know, maybe cracking a smile now. They they recognize. You know, the Jesus prayer as being, um, you know, 12 words, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so for me, the introduction um, to that prayer, uh, you know, during my undergrad, uh, really revolutionized prayer for me. It, it really took it from this type of prayer that only had to be, or only was, was allowed to be spontaneous, uh, kind of, um, for lack of a better definition, it had to be freestyle prayer, mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where you had to kind of, on the spot, um, you know, go for it. And so for me, um, my, my background really never introduced me to um, preformed prayers and the power of them. And so for me, you know, that, that prayer, the Jesus prayer, really got my, my heart in a, in a new rhythm where I was looking for, um, for prayers, um, and I was looking for things that, that might be throughout the Scripture, or, um, you know, and, and really, you know, the Lord kind of brought me back to the, uh, to the Church's prayer book, um, which is the, the Psalms. Uh, and so we see, uh, we see that saints, you know, for generation upon generation, um, it has been what has formed the church's prayer um, is uh, is the psalm. And, and unfortunately, in our in our present day and in some of our modern, uh, more traditions, um, we lose that aspect. We lose the aspect of 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 prayers that have been crafted and preserved by saints for generations, um, that they might have a place of um, incredible impact. Um, in our lives uh, now, um, you know, here in 2017. And so, you know, simple prayer is that. Simple prayer is, is realizing that it's not uh, the depth or the breadth of my vocabulary 
um, but it's my heart's desire to to be near to God and understanding that my words um, might actually be the um, inhibitor mm-hmm. uh, of anything. So simple prayer is a way for me to get past all that uh, and really um, launch into a, a deep and intimate relationship with God that moves beyond language. Now you mentioned that we have lost um, the value of those kinds of prayer. I, I would go so far as to say that in, in many cases, it's actually been rejected. The idea that it has to be spontaneous and original, that's the only way that you can connect and, and, and uh, communicate with God. Can you address that? Because even now, I imagine some of our listeners are thinking, well, you know, praying by rote is addressed in Scripture. Is that what you're talking about? Just simply repeating others' words um, without yeah. meaning or without thought behind them? Yeah, and, and it's it's great that you bring that up because I think that's right where we're at. And and almost every conversation that I have r- r- around the the book, um, someone brings it up. They bring up that idea of that that vain repetition. Um, and so for me, uh, I, I'll simply just kind of share a story. I, I grew up with a like I said, my mom was uh, was a praying mom, and I remember any time that we would get into a moment of um, of tension, if we're driving on the road and there's a quick stop or or something, my mom would would just begin to repeat the name of Jesus. She would just repeat the name of Jesus over and over again, and it wasn't um, there wasn't any um, vain repetition in that. But it was a it was a deep and it was a concerted effort to call upon the name of Jesus in a given moment. And so, for me, um, in our own lives, I, I say to my kids um, multiple times a day that I love them. Uh, I say it to my wife. It becomes vain repetition if my heart is removed from it. Um, so for, for me, mm. praying a prayer that has been um, maybe formed throughout the centuries or, or maybe pre-written, um, you know, so many of us journal and so many of us find time to, to really express ourselves in written form. It's very powerful if you'll, if you'll write a prayer out and actually then go back and read that prayer. Um, it, it finds a way where we can really be mindful of, of the language, and it only loses its potency and it only loses its effect when our hearts remove from it. And so for, for us, the, the vain repetition, that's not an issue here. The issue is us. We're more and more concentrating our, our mind and our hearts, um, our emotions um, into this prayer so that they, we, we might be in alignment. I think a lot of times in the same way that every now and then we need an adjustment from a chiropractor, because maybe something in our, in our back is out of alignment. Often, sometimes in the way in which we want to pray, we're out of alignment. Um, sometimes our thoughts aren't in our prayers, and sometimes our hearts aren't in our prayers. Simple prayer for me has been the thing that has helped me to be in alignment because I'm not trying to figure out what I'm going to say. Um, I'm actually just getting to the heart of the issue. I mean, and uh, it's, been, it's been really wonderful. The, the scriptures even um, make reference to the fact that sometimes we don't have words to utter what's in our heart and the Spirit yep. has to speak yep. forth. So there, it's clearly stated in scripture that we do struggle with, with our limited vocabulary to try to express what's what's in our heart. Um, now, you make the point that s- uh, simple prayer is simple but not simplistic, and you make reference to right. two individuals um, that have had an impact um, on you, two important mystics, uh, some of the first uh, to pray simply, John Cassian being one, and you mentioned the the, uh, uh, the Jesus prayer. The other one is John um, Climacus, if I pronounce that correctly, um, mm-hmm. both of yeah. whom wrote classics that helped inform your thinking and, and has... Uh, informed the thinking of believers for many generations on how to pray simply. Yeah, for for sure. And, and if if you know a little bit of uh, of my my background, what what makes that even more obscure? Um, besides just being interested in, in in the Desert Fathers from the third and fourth century, I don't meet too many people on a given day um, that are that are intrigued by by that. But um, my my background and upbringing is um, is from the Pentecostal movement, and so for for a young Pentecostal um, kid to be drawn to the, the desert, if you will, 
um, it really was um, it was odd. Uh, to, to say the least, it was odd for uh, even some of my family members uh, because the reality, and I think one of the reasons why I wanted to pay careful attention to rooting um, the book historically in, in the Christian tradition is unfortunately the Pentecostal movement, if we, if we could critique them for a moment, um, that they haven't, they haven't been the, the rich keepers of history. Uh, they've almost mm-hmm. seen themselves as um, kind of another, uh, another branch of it or kind of they just they've lost connection with distant relatives is the best way to describe it. And so for me, you know, those two gentlemen that you mentioned, um, they they, they it's almost that like they introduced me to a seat at the table and I wasn't aware of all of the family members at the table. And as I began to read and as I began to kind of you know, dig into some of the uh, the classics and I, as I began to read, you know, the, the Philokalia, as I began to read um, just some of the, the writings of the Desert Fathers, I honestly felt like I was being introduced to long-lost spiritual brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles and, and some of them like the crazy uncle that we all have. And so, um, <laughs> you know, they're out there. But uh, it, for me, it was truly refreshing. And I honestly believe uh, what it did, um, it didn't. It didn't remove me from my Pentecostal heritage. It absolutely enriched it um, because what I saw then was was a was a movement that that wasn't um, isolated um, as I had been maybe taught, but it actually was a movement that that had um, deep deep roots, and they went a lot further um, than the beginning of the 1900s. And so for me, it, it really provided passion, and it really provided a sense of man. I'm, I'm grateful to know and, and, and lead and, and kind of dig into. And so, yeah, I, I do. I, I find, um, I find joins in the classic writings, you know, and obviously I couldn't go into, you know, all of them in, in the book and, and things like that. But, you know, um, Teresa, she's been a, a dear friend um, to read and, and to kind of move through uh, my own spirituality and, uh, you know, so, so many others. And so, um, yeah, so it was, it was cool for me to be able to introduce some of that into yeah. the book. Yeah. I appreciated um, the and, introduction. And <laughs> Yeah, and just hopefully that there there is that, that sense of connection because I I wanted I wanted this to be rooted not just in a new idea, right? We we don't need new ideas about spiritual formation. What we just need are are helps uh, to be obedient, um, maybe to the ideas and even the revelation that we've had previous. Yeah, I've yeah. found in my own life that I'm I'm not nearly as good as obeying as I am trying to learn new things. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation again. We're talking with Charlie Dawes. The book is titled "Simple Prayer: Learning to Speak to God with Ease." We'll be back. We're back 49 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Charlie Dawes. He is Associate Vice President for Student Development at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. He's also an Assistant Professor in Practical Ministries in the College of Christian Ministries and Religion. We're talking about his book, Simple Prayer, Learning to Speak to God with Ease. Now, we're talking about praying simply. Um, and you uh, mentioned early on in our conversation the Jesus Prayer, which is familiar to many of us, and I, I hope will become more familiar to others. But to kind of put it into perspective, you have uh, in your early chapter, um, you parse the Jesus Prayer, and then you uh, work through the levels of that prayer and how we can practice the Jesus Prayer, which indicates that simple words don't always, uh, or I should say simple words can convey much deeper things than the few words that are used might suggest. Yeah. Um, and I think for us, you know, again, I, I, I think if we look at our, our spiritual lives and we can connect them kind of in our, in our relational lives, uh, sometimes it, it seems to resonate a little bit clearer. And so for me, 
um, there are moments where I can be with my wife, I can be with my kids, I can be with a really close friend, and there's moments where, where words almost will feel like it violates the moment, where, where maybe we're together and there's just a sense of joy and, and happiness, and, and there's just a sense of, of unity and, and even deep love. Um, and, and when you invite kind of words into that, it just, it, it rings like a bad note on a piano. And so for me, um, what the Jesus prayer does, the levels of the Jesus prayer allows us to move beyond just the, the reciting of the prayer, but allows us to move into these places where, uh, as I mentioned earlier, where, where the ultimate goal uh, in, in any type of prayer, is, is that union with God, is that connection, is that sense of intimacy, that sense of nearness. And when you get to that place, you realize then um, that the, the words were, were merely, um, you know, the vehicle to get you there. They weren't, they weren't the, the real deal at all. Yeah, God isn't necessarily impressed by how well we put words together. Um, he's right. really, as the scripture says, he's looking at our hearts. And sometimes we're so distracted by, okay, what comes after that and what should come before it? And what should my volume be? And which words should I use that we might miss out yes. on what he's really yes. looking for? Yeah, precisely. And, and Jesus, I mean, think about it. When, when the disciples come to Jesus and, he, and they, want, they want to learn to pray, right? And we've all been in those moments and places where we, we want to learn to pray. We, we all should be students of prayer. And, and they come to Jesus and he provides them with the Lord's Prayer, and I say this in the book, I think you can look at the Lord's Prayer as a simple prayer model. I think you can see each of the lines could stand alone and be prayed. They could, they could, hold, they could hold their own, if you will. And, and it's, not long, it's not a long discourse that he offers them. There's not some sense of monologue that he teaches them. Um, but it gives them this way of, of praying so that there's, um, there's access. So, it, so my thing is if the disciples who live in proximity with Jesus would have difficulty in praying, um, then I'm going to let myself off the hook um, for, having, for having some struggles as well. But uh, I think simple prayers um, can help us. Now, you offer some simple prayers in, in different areas. Simple prayer of the heart, of faith, simple prayer of forgiveness and unity. Give us some examples of simple prayer that, uh, and again, in the book, you go into much greater detail leading up to these prayers that we might uh, might pray, but give us some examples. Yeah, I, I think the, you know the whole idea of a simple prayer of you know of, of even restoration. You know, I, I mentioned earlier the the idea that the Psalms serve as the church's prayer book. You know that that famous phrase, you know, "He restores my soul." Um, that that's been a prayer for me that I've been able to hold on to. Um, whether I've been in, in moments where it's just uh, great fatigue. Um, you know, we all have seasons of life where there's just an incredible output, um, and that prayer has been one that has really kind of under undergirded um, my my spiritual journey. Um, there's moments where uh, we're, we feel wounded, we feel wounded spiritually, and maybe we've gone through um, a loss, or we've gone through something that was been you know devastating, and and we um, we can pray that prayer and allow that um, that restoration to begin to take process and, and, and begin to take shape in our life. And um, you know, for me, another one that uh, is really uh, you know, really, really dear and dear to my heart is the whole idea of, you know, I believe, but, but help me mind belief. Mm-hmm. Um, again, uh, you know, growing up in church, uh, you know, I, I've, I feel like I've believed my whole life. Um, but there have been moments and there have been seasons where I've recognized that, yeah, while I might have faith, um, doubt had found its way in, into my mind and found its way into my heart and my life. And uh, I just love the fact that Jesus doesn't seem worried or concerned um, about, about doubt. 
um, because Jesus has a way of kind of overcoming that. And so for me, being able to pray uh, this idea, okay, Lord, I believe, I can, I, I can acknowledge my faith, but I, in the same breath, I can also acknowledge in this moment, um, maybe my faith's fractured. Um, you know, my wife and I, we went through a, a great loss, uh, you know, a few years back, and we, um, you know, if I'm honest, we, our faith was fractured. Mm. And it wasn't because we no longer believed. Um, but there had been a season where, where, where unbelief had, had really began to take um, residence, you know, next door to our faith. And it was a tough season for us. And so for me, simple prayers really also um, took a deeper root into my life during that time, because sometimes you don't, you don't have the words to pray. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have the energy to, uh, to gather uh, lots of language, um, but your heart can do the crying. And, and you mentioned it wonderfully early, you know, early in our conversation. You know, what Paul says in Romans is so true that we, we serve a God that is so intimately connected to us that even in our groans and even in the moments where we can't even form the words to say, um, that the Spirit of God is resident in that place, um, that's a powerful, powerful thought. Um, that takes the pressure off of us saying the right things. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate, too, that you make reference to simple prayers that Jesus himself prayed. Father, forgive them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's eloquent, it's short, it makes the point, and, and God responds to those kinds of prayers. Yeah, absolutely. And so, again, Jesus is, is who we follow. Uh, and so for me, uh, I want to follow Jesus, not just in life and in living, um, but also in praying. Yeah. And so for me, grabbing that, I, I, have to, I have to think through the lens that Jesus, as he's praying that, because see, sometimes what these simple prayers allow us to do is to go deeper into the text, even. Um, so when I, I see Jesus praying this prayer, Father, forgive them, I have to be reminded of the setting, and I have to be reminded of, of where and when and why and how um, this prayer emerges from his own life. And, and the moment I do that, then I'm challenged that when I pray that, uh, man, I'm, I'm, stepping into, um, I'm stepping into the space that Jesus himself would step into, um, that the people who wrong and the people who are, um, are even in the moment hurting, um, you know, are, are, are able to be forgiven. And uh, man, that's, a, that's a challenge. That's a yeah. challenge to do. And I, I, honestly, I think in the, in the day and age that we live in right now, uh, man, I, I think there's a place for, for those prayers to emerge. What kind of response might we expect? I think sometimes we imagine that if we pray correctly, we can manipulate God's response. What sure. might we expect in terms of God's responding to our heart's cry that is expressed in very simple words? Yeah, I think, uh, again, the ultimate is, is nearness. Uh, his nearness to us is for our good. And so for me, um, you know, prayer, often, oftentimes, there's, there's so many resources and places that we could run to and would almost... Um, you know, use um, use prayer as a as a tool and a technique um, to getting maybe what we're wanting from God. Um, and and I'll be real clear: simple prayer isn't that. Um, simple prayer is is about presence, and simple prayer is about us being present to God and God being being near to us and us being aware of that nearness. And so I think that would be the response: is that our 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 life would become more um, aware that God is near to us and and. And that's the, that's the promise that we have in scriptures is, is the solidarity of our Savior, um, that He's with us. Um, it may not always get better, and it may not always be um, removing pain and removing anguish or difficulty from our life, um, but the powerful, the powerful message that we have in Jesus is that He's with us. Amen. Once again, the book is titled Simple Prayer, Learning to Speak to God with Ease. I think you'll find it refreshing and helpful as you uh, desire to draw closer to and deeper in your relationship with the Lord. Charlie Dawes, thank you so much for talking with us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It was really, really an honor. Thank you. Bye-bye. Again, uh, Simple Prayer, Learning to Speak to God with Ease. The book, by the way, is published by InterVarsity 
Press. We've got news and traffic coming up here in uh, just a few moments when we return. We'll tell you a little bit of what's going on in the news. There's a 320,000-acre blaze in uh, the state of Oregon. I know much of our attention rightfully is focused on Hurricane Harvey and uh, the fallout in Houston. We'll talk a bit more about that later in the program as well. Uh, President Trump pardoned uh, uh, Sheriff Arpaio. We'll talk about that and the divided opinion on uh, uh, why and uh, whether or not that was a good idea. We'll get into that in much more in the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Uh, again, our guest, uh, Charlie Dawes, has a background with uh, George Fox Evangelical Seminary. He earned his doctorate there. He's associate uh, vice president for student development and is the author of Simple Prayer, Learning to Speak to God with Ease, the book published by InterVarsity Press. We'll be back. Welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show on this Monday edition of the program. Uh, in this hour, we're going to hear from Morgan Smith. She uh, is living in Houston, Texas. She used to be an afternoon host on our sister station, The Fish. She'll give us her perspective of what's going on there. We'll also bring you the latest on Hurricane Harvey as round two is on its way. We also want to remind you that there's an opportunity if you would like to support families who have been devastated by this uh, unprecedented storm. Save the Children is there on the ground and they're helping families to deal with their small children uh, in a way that is safe and extends the love of Christ. You can phone them to make your gift of $50 to 888 888- Two four eight zero three one two. That's eight 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 two four eight zero three one two. You can also log on to kpdq.com and look for the Save the Children banner, uh, and you can give on our secure website. We learned this afternoon that North Korea has fired a missile over Japan. That's according to the Pentagon. Uh, the Pentagon said, we assessed North Korea conducted a missile launch within the last 90 minutes. That was earlier today. We can confirm that the missile launched by North Korea flew over Japan. The Pentagon continued. We are still in the process of assessing this launch. North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD, uh, determined the missile launch from North Korea did not pose a threat to North America. We are working closely with Pacific Command, Strategic Command, and NORAD, and will provide an update as soon as possible. Well, a senior U.S. official said that there has been some movement suggesting an intermediate missile was being prepped. The South Korean military said the missile flew about 1,700 miles with a height of 341 miles. That's lower than the 2,300 miles into space an intercontinental ballistic missile uh, traveled in late July. North Korea's uh, July 4th ICBM traveled more than 1,700 miles into space. Well, the missile was fired from the area of Sunan in Pyongyang shortly before 6 a.m. flew east. South Korean Joint uh, Chief of Staff uh, said, according to the Yonhap News Agency, it passed through the sky over Japan. Japan's chief cabinet secretary uh, labeled it an unprecedented grave threat, although this isn't the first missile that's been lobbed over Japan. The U.S. Missile Defense Agency said that the Japanese government altered the uh, public, uh, uh, rather alerted the public to take cover in northern uh, areas of Japan, but that J- the Japanese military did not attempt to intercept. Uh, More information is forthcoming, and as that is the case, we will share that with you. Well, criticism of President uh, Donald Trump's pardon of controversial former Sheriff Joe Arpaio is growing, with figures as different as former Vice President Joe Biden, uh, Republican Speaker of the House Paul Ryan weighing in. Uh, The president uh, pardoned the former sheriff of Maricopa County, Arizona, on Friday night for his conviction on criminal contempt of a federal court order that he stopped detaining people based on their immigration status. Arpaio's long record also also included housing some prisoners in an outdoor tent city where temperatures reached the 
the triple digits and using chain gangs. Democrat uh, Biden said Trump's pardon of Arpaio shows the truth of this president. He won't stop, Biden wrote in an opinion piece today in The Atlantic. His contempt for the U.S. Constitution and willingness to divide this nation knows no bounds. Well, that's sort of the pot calling the kettle black, but that's subject for another uh, conversation. Uh, Ryan, uh, Speaker Paul Ryan's spokesman, Doug Anders, said in the statement that law enforcement officials have a special responsibility to respect the rights of everyone in the United States. We should not allow anyone to believe that that responsibility is diminished by this pardon. Well, following the president's announcement, the Washington Post on Saturday reported, citing unnamed sources, that the president asked Attorney General Jeff Sessions this past spring whether he would drop the federal case against Arpaio. Sessions told Trump it would be inappropriate for him to interfere in the federal case against him, according to the newspaper. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders did not uh, outright deny that the pair had that conversation. It's only natural the president would have a conversation, a discussion, if you will, with administration lawyers about legal matters, she said on Saturday. This case would be no different, end quote. Well, as for lawmakers' reactions, Arizona's two Republican U.S. senators and a chairman of the Texas Federation of Hispanic Republicans slammed Trump's pardon of Arpaio, while others in the party largely remained silent on the matter into the weekend. A look at some of them. Um, Senator John McCain on his Twitter account wrote, uh, President of the United States pardon of Joe Arpaio, who illegally profiled Latinos, undermines his claim for the respect of, of the law. Uh, Jeff Flake, also a Republican uh, senator out of uh, Arizona, says regarding the Arpaio pardon, I would have preferred that the president honor the judicial process and let it take its course. Artemio um, Temo Munez, chairman of the Texas Federation of Hispanic Republicans, said beyond disgusted, Arpaio equal amnesty now in reality. Conservatives who claim rule of law are fake news, hashtag GOP, hashtag RNC, and so on. Well, Democrats call the pardon shameful and appalling. Phoenix Mayor Greg Stanton said pardoning Joe Arpaio is a slap in the face to people of the Maricopa County, especially the Latino community and those he victimized as he systematically and illegally violated their civil rights. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said the New York uh, said rather as millions of uh, people in Texas and L.A. are prepping for a hurricane. The president is using the cover of the storm. Um, Senator Al Franken out of Minnesota said the presidential pardons should not be rewards for bad behavior and discrimination. Granting a pardon to Joe Arpaio is shameful and appalling. Well, uh, meanwhile, the president uh, slammed uh, the previous administrations, both Obama and Clinton, for their clemency decisions. And he says he stands by his Arpaio pardon. President Trump fired back at critics today uh, regarding his decision. I stand by the pardon, he said, clearly anticipating a question about it. He read from prepared notes as he uh, countered the bipartisan criticism by uh, rattling off the controversial commutations and pardons issued by former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, saying President President Obama commuted the uh, sentence of Chelsea Manning, who leaked countless sensitive and classified documents, calling Manning a, a criminal leaker. He also criticized Obama for commuting the sentence of Oscar Lopez Rivera, who had been serving a 55-year federal prison sentence for being a leader of the Puerto Rican terrorist group FALN. He also reached back to the Clinton administration, invoking the infamous pardon of the late financier Mark Rich, who was charged with crimes going back decades and Clinton's clemency for Susan Rosenberg, a far-left radical and member of the Weather Underground. 
um, trying to uh, demonstrate tit for tat. Meanwhile, the editors at National Review were having none of it and called it a bad pardon. The announcement, they write, of the pardon of former Sheriff Joseph Arpaio on a Friday night, the time usually reserved for getting out bad news, suggested that some people at the White House might have been embarrassed by it. If so, they were correct. We are mindful of the hypocrisy of the left regarding abuse of the president's constitutional pardon power, they write. President Clinton put it on sale for the benefit of donors and cronies. President Obama used it to effectively rewrite Congress's narcotics statutes for the benefit of drug felons and in circumvention of his duties to execute the laws faithfully. Both commuted the sentences of anti-American terrorists from the FALN and Weatherman. These are disgraceful acts. But that past doesn't make Trump's pardon any less objectionable. Trump acted for the benefit of a political crony, just like Clinton. He did it, just like Clinton, outside the Justice Department's uh, pardon process. And while presidents have the authority to go around the Department of Justice, the regular process is in place to ensure that presidents make fully informed pardon decisions. To short-circuit the standard procedure is to consciously avoid facts that might show that clemency is unwarranted. In this case, the facts are that Sheriff Arpaio repeatedly flouted court orders and detained aliens on suspicion of being in the United States illegally, which is not a crime under federal law. It's a civil offense. Even if one believes it should be a crime, Congress has not criminalized it. Even if, moreover, one believes that the states should have the sovereign authority to criminalize trespass by aliens in the uh, country unlawfully, the federal courts have thwarted them. Law officers are bound to enforce the law as it exists, not the law as they would have it. Furthermore, if law officers believe court orders are incorrect, their remedy is to challenge them through these constitutional procedures, not to flout them. The rule of law depends on it. They go on from there again, the editors of the National Review calling the president's pardon of Joe Arpaio a bad pardon. Well, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson raised eyebrows on Sunday with his curt reply that President Trump speaks for himself when asked about his boss's values. But Tillerson is just the latest cabinet member or top advisor appearing to put distance between himself and the commander in chief, complicating the president's task as he tries to unify both his own team and Republicans in Congress and is it uh, behind his agenda? Uh, the response uh, from Tillerson reflects how the president's handling of the violence in Charlottesville continues to reverberate weeks later. Uh, meanwhile, uh, General Kelly is trying to take control of the information that Trump sees. A new process laid out in two memos circulating in the West Wing this week is supposed to ensure that Kelly vets everything that hits the resolute um, uh, desk. And by the way, that is what previous administrations have done. Confronting a West Wing that treated policymaking as a free-for-all, President Trump's chief of staff, John Kelly, is instituting a system used by previous administrations to limit internal competition and to make himself the last word on the material that crosses the president's desk. Um, Oh, I was going to mention one resignation. I guess I'll get to that on another day. But I will mention that more than 320,000 acres are ablaze right here in the state of Oregon. Uh, The largest fire, the Chetco Bar Fire outside Brookings, covers nearly 108,000 acres with about 1,700 firefighters at the scene. They had feared that strong winds on Saturday would drive uh, the, the growth of the fire, but they did not materialize, thankfully. The fire grew, but not by much. The fire is 0% contained. It's uh, destroyed six homes thus far, 20 minor structures. Fire officials are going to update the public at a meeting uh, this evening at the Brookings Harbor High School. Uh, But there is the um, Millie Fire that's covering 16,000 acres, Um, the uh, Miller uh, Complex Fire, uh, the uh, High Cascades Complex Fire, the Red Flag Warning at the Umpqua North Complex 
um, the Falcon Complex, white water fire causing smoky conditions, uh, as well as the um, uh, Jones Fire that has uh, grown minimally but still is part of that 320 acres ablaze here in the state of Oregon. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's happening in Houston. So stay with us. We're back 20 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Many of us have been riveted to our television screens and maybe our radios listening for details of Hurricane Harvey that struck Texas and the Gulf Coast over the weekend. The world turned upside down for children and their families in its path. To put it into perspective, 27 inches of rain fell in 48 hours in parts of Houston. Uh, record rainfall in Texas was 48 inches in 1978. Between 1,500 and 2,000 water rescues in Harris County alone, which in Includes Houston took place, and they're continuing. Twelve million people have been directly affected by the storm and subject to uh, flood warnings. That uh, number has been increased recently to 13 million. 316,000 power outages, uh, not including those who lost power in Houston. 3,000 National Guard and Texas State uh, Guard members serving affected areas uh, all over that region. 500 vehicles, 14 uh, aircraft mobilized for rescue efforts. 130,000 meals a day will be needed and provided by the American Red Cross. 92 ambulances were deployed to Houston. 130 mile per hour sustained winds when Harvey made landfall on Friday as a Category 4 hurricane left in its wake a great deal of uh, devastation. Well, uh, many question why Houston wasn't evacuated, and those are questions that I suppose will once uh, will one day be answered. At this point, those questions have to be put behind those who are asking them because the second round of this devastating storm is about to uh, hit. And when it uh, struck the Gulf, Gulf Coast and is preparing to strike again, um, as I mentioned, the lives of children and their families uh, were turned upside down. When disaster strikes, it's the children who suffer in unimaginable ways. And I'm happy to announce that Save the Children is there to meet their unique needs. And they are unique. There are the cycle, uh, the psychosocial um, impacts of this kind of a disaster. There's There are questions of safety for children and their families. Uh, and food, and uh, I should say, um, Save the Children is providing hygiene kits, uh, cribs for babies who are without, strollers, uh, blankets, food, water, and all of the things that you just take for granted that your baby needs and will have. Well, even now, Save the Children is in Texas and along the Gulf Coast, making sure hurt and frightened children are impacted by this most recent Hurricane Harvey get the help they need. Now, to care for and protect children has been the mission of Save the Children for nearly a 100 years. So when tragedies like this one strike, they're prepared and they're on the ground for children and their families, not only in Houston, but around the world and right here at home. Now, they're asking us to uh, to consider a gift of $50 right now uh, to deliver the essential supplies that families need when they're forced to evacuate. And so often I hear about families who have very little time to collect things that that matter and certainly things that they need. They have um, uh, very little capacity to carry very much. And so providing um, hygiene, for example, and blankets and portable cribs and strollers, these are things that families desperately need when their their future is uncertain, but their present uh, presents a long list of things that they desperately need. Children are counting on us, and if you would like to give to the effort to provide relief and do so in a way that also expresses the love of Christ, let me encourage you to be in touch with Save the Children today. Now, the truth is there was a lot 
of news coverage over the weekend. There was a lot of coverage today. There probably will be for Tuesday and Wednesday, but then it's likely to drop off the radar because other things will press in. And while for us, it won't be uh, the top news story for those who are struggling, it will continue to be as we're hearing from the governor and the mayor in uh, Houston. uh, We're hearing this is going to be an issue that will take years to resolve. Uh, years to recover. So I want to encourage you to, uh, in, in these most acute uh, hours of this disaster, to pick up your phone and call Save the Children. Their telephone number, 888-248-0312. Again, that's 888-248-0312. You can also give online at kpdq.com. You'll see the Save the Children banner uh, right away, and you can uh, click on that and give on our secure website. And again, they're suggesting a gift of $50 right now will help provide the, the things that a family needs immediately to provide for themselves, and particularly the youngest among them. Uh, portable cribs and strollers, the hygiene kits if they need diapers and blankets, all the things that you need to care for a child. They also address the psychosocial impacts on kids. They provide a place of safety for parents to leave their children temporarily while they're looking for uh, answers and they're looking for um, uh, resources to provide for their family. So they are on the ground doing so, and they're an organization that is motivated by and extends the love of Christ. So if in your giving you would like to make that expression of faith, this is a great way to do, though, do so. There are lots of organizations doing work on the ground. I can vouch for Save the, uh, uh, Save the Children. We're partnering with them here at KPDQ, as are uh, our sister stations and stations uh, f- affiliated with Salem Communications, all across the country. So once again, that telephone number, two, uh, I should say 888-248-0312, 888-248-0312. As I was listening to news reports earlier in the day, uh, they were suggesting that many of the facilities that are emergency shelters are almost at capacity. Uh, there are still thousands of people stranded in their homes looking for rescue. And as night falls there... Uh, Many of them are absolutely desperate. We know that uh, additional rain is expected, and what that means um, is is difficult to know uh, in the hours ahead. One thing that really put it into perspective for me was the story of one family desperately trying to escape the flood. This was a family of six. Uh, They are believed to have died after drowning in a white van on Sunday afternoon while they tried to escape the floods of Hurricane Harvey. Uh, relatives told the local news that it is thus far the single deadliest incident resulting from the storm. Now, the victims include four children, all 16 years or younger. Their great-grandparents, who were trying to help them escape, the driver of the vehicle, the children's great-uncle, managed to escape before the van went under, but the rest, it is believed, were lost. According to witnesses, the van was driving down uh, a road in uh, Green Bayou when it hit high flood waters um, uh, after crossing the bridge, and it It can be very unexpected. This caused the van to uh, be swept up in the current. The driver um, then crawled out, told the children inside to try to get out through the back door. They were unable unable to do so, and the vehicle was uh, swept away. Uh, I'm going to share a conversation in uh, this hour that I shared in the first hour. Morgan Smith, who uh, was a... Uh, afternoon host on our sister station, The Fish, now lives in Houston. And you can hear the emotion in her voice. She and her family are in a safe location. In fact, they just moved recently there on high ground. But she is so concerned about and moved by the plight of others, her neighbors in Houston. She also comments on how the, um, the family in Texas uh, comes together to support one another. 
Uh, but I think it, it also presents for us a picture of what's happening there on the ground and the opportunity we have from our vantage point at a great distance uh, to help to provide the resources they need to get back on their feet while it's determined um, the the uh, extent of the damage and what can be done. As I mentioned, FEMA says that we are here, we're going to be all in, but we cannot do it alone. The expectation is, according to the governor and the mayor of Houston, that this is going to take years for the recovery uh, to be complete. Uh, you've got millions of people who will be displaced in the meantime, um, there's just a lot that needs to be done in providing the basic resources that these family needs, these families need rather, um, is something that we can do right now. It's one thing to see the images on the television screen, and I hope we're all following the news. It's another thing to be moved to do something to help. And I am so grateful that we have a resource that uh, reflects at least my core values as a as a follower of Christ, uh, that they're ministering to families there. And you can be in touch. You can make a gift of, uh, they're suggesting $50. Certainly more would be welcome. Um, and you can call 888-248-0312. Again, that's 888-248-0312. You can also log on to kpdq.com and uh, you can go to the uh, Save the Children uh, Web page, and you'll see that right away, and you can give securely online. So, uh, again, a great opportunity uh, in the midst of a great tragedy. It's children who suffer the most, and that's why Save the Children is there. Well, coming up, as I mentioned, uh, I had an opportunity earlier in the day to speak with Morgan Smith. Now, many of you are familiar with her voice as she has been a voice on our sister station, The Fish, for a number of years. Uh, We were so sorry to see her um, move away, but she is still in radio in Houston. She and her family just moved to a new residence, sort of high ground in Houston, and uh, she talks. Uh, she had an opportunity to talk with me, or rather, I had an opportunity to talk with her about what's happening there from her vantage point on the ground. And we'll share that conversation with you in just a few moments in our next segment. Also, there was a Mother Teresa figure in Pakistan, and she was honored with a state funeral. This is the, uh, the only the second Christian in Pakistan's history, the first woman who happens to be a Christian, that was given a state funeral there. This one woman helped to eradicate... Um, Uh, leprosy from that country over a period of years. She arrived in 1960 and uh, and as reports would have it, almost single-handedly was responsible for eradicating a leprosy in that country. What one woman can do who commits herself to serving others. We'll close our program with that story and also we'll let you know what's coming up later this week. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, like most of you, we've been riveted to the television as we've watched the uh, the fallout of Hurricane Harvey. Uh, my next guest is living in North Houston. It's a name that's probably familiar to most of you. Morgan Smith was an afternoon host on the Fish Station, our sister station, uh, just down the way a little bit. She's now the um, afternoon host at KSBJ uh, in uh, Northern Houston, and we are um, Northern Texas, rather, and we are delighted to talk with you today. Although I wish it was under better circumstances, Morgan Smith, thanks so much for joining us. Georgine, I'm so happy to hear your voice. I could cry. It's been such a stressful day. It's nice to hear a friendly voice. Mm. James Blend is in studio with us as well. First of all, let me ask you how you and your family are doing and if you've been impacted by this hurricane. We're okay. Um, so I have a four-and-a-half-year-old son. He's been at his grandparents all week because we were actually moving this week, which added a huge amount of stress. But 
later. So we're in the new house. Um, it's at the top of a hill in a suburb in the nor- very, very northeastern corner of Houston. So we personally are safe, um, but our city's underwater, and I have friends that are likely going to lose their home. Mm. So um, while I'm okay and I have power and food and everything, not everyone I love and care for is um, faring as well. Now, of course, we all saw the weather forecast, and, and even the Nath- National Weather Service raising a white flag at one point saying, we, we just don't know what to tell anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. What we, We've seen what's happened so far, and we know there are more, quote-unquote, punches coming. What are they telling you right now as to what's coming over the next couple of days? Because this could obviously get much, much worse than it already is. Sure. Well, I mean, a lot of what you know is what we know. But um, what I can say is that they were right. They just, they were right in that the storm kind of rolled in Houston and fell out and has stayed here. I just think that it's dumped more rain than they ever could have imagined. I mean, you, you watch the local news forecasts or local news reports and you hear people using words like biblical flood and this is unprecedented. You'll hear unprecedented six times in a five minute newscast because nobody else knows what to say. We have never seen this kind of rain. Um, they are totally doing the best that they can, but it's hard to be prepared for such an unpredictable storm. We are expecting a couple more days of rain. Uh, it depends on which of the forecasts that you look at. It may go back out in the Gulf and load up with more water, and it may keep moving east. We just don't know at this point. Mm. Now, we're seeing images on television of rescue efforts and people who are stranded waiting to be rescued. Paint a picture for us of what it's like for you living in Houston, although from a vantage point where where you and your family are safe, but knowing that others in your your town uh, are suffering. What is it like for you there now? It's hard, Georgine. Um, I have friends who are the outdoorsman types, and they have boats and big trucks, and they have been out for days. Um just rescuing people from their homes. There are websites that are set up where people can go on and um, say where they are and that they need help. And just their neighbors, their friends, people who live in the area will come in motorboats and kayaks. There's a whole group of people that have headed here. They call themselves the Cajun Navy, and they've headed here from Louisiana in airboats. And they're just just driving around neighborhoods rescuing people and putting their own lives at risk. Um it's really hard to know that this is happening, but I think it really shows the heart of Houston and really the big heart that you hear about in the yes. South. Like, that's how people really are. We've heard from both the mayor and the governor making that point that Texans are pulling together and we're seeing evidence of that. We here in Portland, clear over on the West Coast, uh, we want to respond in practical ways to uh, help those who have lost everything, those who for a period of time may be in shelters and and struggling. Um, Can you just give us a a reason why we here on the West Coast ought to be uh, concerned and generous in our response uh, to reaching out to our neighbors uh, clear over in Houston? Well, I think one of the reasons is because it's a great way to show the love of Christ to people. Honestly, mm-hmm. there are so many people who are just hurting and desolate and desperate who have lost everything to move into a shelter and just not know if you're going to have a house to go back to. We have over 30,000 people in shelters right now. This is a storm that we will be recovering from, not for days or weeks, but years. There are people who may not even get back to their homes because of dams and um, flooding in lakes, they may not get back to their homes for months, is the report. And so 
I really think it's an important way just to show the love of Christ to people and to understand that we're in this together. You know, like I said about the people from Louisiana coming to help, Houston was one of the big response efforts when Hurricane Katrina struck, and I've heard people from Louisiana saying, it's our turn now, we're going to come help you. Mm. And, you know, it's not like nothing bad ever happens in the Pacific Northwest. And so I think it's a great opportunity for us to show love to Absolutely. Absolutely. You're an afternoon host, as I mentioned, at KSBJ. Uh, This afternoon, you're going to take to the airwaves. What will your message be to your listeners? Really, again, just that we want to love and take care of one another. I I remember hearing a quote from Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, about when there is something tragic happening, we should look for the helpers, because there are always helpers. And... We have seen so many of those people and in a world that just seems so divided where we fight about things day in and day out. It's um, very heartening to see people come together at a time when it really matters and to realize that so much of what we fight about just has no consequence. Yeah, yeah. Well, Morgan Smith, it's so wonderful to hear your voice here on the West Coast, even if it's just for a few moments. And I'm grateful that you're there to offer some comfort to your listeners uh, there in in Texas. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to talk with us. We're going to continue our efforts to provide uh, practical resource and financial help to those who are suffering. And uh, we appreciate so much your being with us today. Thank you, Georgie. Thank you, Jane. Bye-bye. Again, uh, Morgan Smith. Uh, formerly on our uh, sister station, the Fish. Now you're familiar with the uh, with uh, with Texas. What does this uh, mean to you as you're seeing and hearing about all that's going on there? You know, it's it's ultimate irony actually in that uh, we had the chance, uh, my wife and I, to visit with Morgan and her family exactly one year ago. Mm. And over the weekend, uh, you know, Facebook on social media gives you these. This is your memory from a year ago, and I'm seeing these pictures from all over Houston, and, and it just it really hit me personally because I you know. The fresh memories of seeing all these places underwater that we had been. Uh, and, uh, you know, my wife and I both looking at these pictures of places we had just visited in such recent memory. Uh, I, I recall it as a beautiful place with beautiful people. And, you know, Morgan talked about the, the spirit there. It, these people will not be broken. Mm-hmm. Their spirit will not be broken. They will band together and they will get by. But, uh, you know, it is it is a... A town that I'm certainly pulling for. I I, I think it uh, it's it's one of those things. I think as Christians, the thing that we always need to rem- remind ourselves is once the story fades from the headlines, and it will, the need will continue. We're encouraging you to help us raise funds to help save the children, minister to families in particular who uh, have been devastated by Hurricane Harvey. Please go to kpdq.com, look for the banner, Save the Children, and there you'll find links to give uh, to Save the Children. We're encouraging you to give a gift of $50 or more. That will make a difference for a family whose children, in some cases, whose babies slept in cardboard boxes because there was no place for them and their, uh, their young children in the shelters that are currently available. They are overrun, they're overwhelmed, and you can help. Again, kpdq.com. We'll be back. We are back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. This happens to be our final segment. 
Well, I wanted to make note that Pakistan's Mother Teresa was honored with an historic funeral in Pakistan. For the first time in that country's recent history, a Christian is being honored with a state funeral. Dr. Ruth Fow is a German-born nun. She lived in Pakistan for over 50 years. She adopted it as her homeland. She died earlier this month at age 87. The Prime Minister, Shahid Abbasi, announced the state funeral for Pakistan's Mother Teresa in recognition of the physician's uh, monumental contribution in controlling the spread of leprosy in Pakistan. Fow may have been born in Germany, he said, but her heart was always in Pakistan. Uh, She came here at the dawn of a young nation looking to make lives better for those afflicted by disease and in doing so found herself a home. We will remember her for her courage, her loyalty, her service to the eradication of leprosy and most of all her patriotism. End quote. Well, a notification issued by Atif Aziz Sindh, uh, law deputy secretary, said that the, nation, the uh, national flag would fly at half mast on the 19th of this month in her honor. She's reported to be one of the only Christians and the first Christian woman to ever be accorded a state funeral in the Muslim majority nation. The World Health Organization set the year 2000 as the target for controlling leprosy. Pakistan achieved it four years earlier in 1996, becoming the first country in Asia to have successfully controlled the spread of the disease, a goal that Fao achieved almost single-handedly. Not all of us can prevent a war, but most of us can help ease suffering of the body and the soul, she once said. She was inspired to become a doctor after World War II. She was born into a Lutheran family, converted to evangelicalism in college, then joined the Catholic Church, eventually feeling called to serve as a nun. She uh, belonged to the Order of the Daughters of the Heart of Mary. She arrived in Pakistan in 1960. Thousands of families were affected by leprosy at that time. It was a disease then considered incurable. Family members used to drop their affected loved ones off at the lepers' uh, colony set up by the uh, church in Karachi. In 1963, she turned a dispensary at the lepers' colony into a hospital named after the founder of her congregation. Eventually established the National Leprosy Control Program in 1984. Now, keep in mind, she arrived in 60. In 84, they set up a National Leprosy Control Program. A total of 175 leprosy treatment centers were set up all across the country. And again, we're talking about Pakistan to treat leprosy patients. Many healed patients were later inducted as uh, employees at these very centers. Well, Pakistan gave uh, FAO honorary citizenship in 1988. She also received three of Pakistan's highest honors, one in 1969, a second in 79, and a third in 2011. In 2004, Aga Khan University conferred upon her an honorary degree of Doctor of Science. She also received a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2006. The German government conferred on her the Order of the Cross in 1968, the Commander's Cross of the Order of Merit with Star uh, in 1985, and the Bambi Award in 2012. Again, the first Christian, particularly the first Christian woman in Pakistan's history, to be given a state funeral, passing away at the age of 87, having arrived in Pakistan in 1960 and nearly single-handedly eradicating uh, leprosy in that country. Well, as you know, we have been focusing much of our attention today on the crippled city of Houston. It is waterlogged. It is recovering. But it's also awaiting round two from that very severe um, hurricane. The president is planning on visiting very soon. He promises that there will be 100 percent support from the federal government. FEMA earlier today said, yes, we will be here, but we cannot do it alone. It's been uh, really refreshing to see how uh, Texans are supporting one another in the wake of this uh, horrific event that is threatening a second round. Uh, But there's also a role that you and I can play in supporting those who have been 
devastated by the events of the last uh, several hours. According to the National uh, Weather Service, residents can expect another 24 inches of rain. Now think about that. 24 inches on an already flooded area, the return of tropical storm force winds, high flood waters. Earlier, they were told not to evacuate. Now they're being told uh, in cases where it's possible, it's a good time to evacuate. The uh, National Weather Service has issued flood watches, warnings from near San Antonio to Nor- uh, San Antonio rather to New Orleans, uh, an area that is home to more than 13 million people. Now, this is an unprecedented storm. And as you heard in my conversation earlier, uh, that's a word that's being applied often here. Unprecedented. It's likely to displace at least 30,000 people. It's cut power to 300,000 residents. It's led to five reported deaths, 2,000 rescues, still uh, inundated the, uh, 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 the nation's fourth largest city with over 11 trillion gallons of water. Uh, it's heartrending to watch it on television, to hear reports from the governor, the mayor, and others who are uh, responding to watch neighbors rescuing neighbors under these horrific circumstances. But the truth is they need our help. And we're encouraging you to come alongside our neighbors, if you will, from Houston uh, and to consider helping save the children to provide the resources they need. Now, their focus is primarily on families, as I mentioned earlier in the program uh, a, a large shelter is no place for a family, particularly if you have young children or babies, and they're setting up means by which families can leave their children in a safe place while they go about doing what's necessary to try to um, restore some semblance of normalcy and recovery. Uh, so we're encouraging you to make a gift of $50, and that will help them uh, move in that direction. There are some things that are desperately needed. I mentioned earlier that uh, some of the babies who have been displaced were sleeping in cardboard boxes. Uh, Save the Children is providing cribs and all the things that a family needs for a, an infant, as well as younger children. They're making sure that families have a safe place to stay together uh, while they're weathering the storm, if you will. Now, I would encourage you to go to our website, uh, kpdq.com. You cannot miss the banner at the top of the page for Save the Children, and all the details for giving is there as well. So let me encourage you to do that. We're going to be talking about it for the next couple of days, because these first um, few days of the start of this week are critical. And the truth is, probably Wednesday, Thursday, you're going to see the cameras and much of the commentary shift to other things. And certainly there are lots of things going on in the world. But I want to make sure our attention is focused in this very strategic and timely moment so that we can uh, make sure that we are expressing our faith, extending the love of Christ to those who desperately need our help in Texas. Again, kpdq.com. Look for the banner, Save the Children, and you can be part of the solution. Uh, Again, we're going to continue to talk about what's going on there over the next uh, few days. So uh, keep it here if you'd like to uh, to know how things are moving forward. We're also planning on uh, talking with some folks who are on the ground there uh, to hear their firsthand accounts of what life is uh, is like. Now, quickly, what's coming up uh, later in this week? We're going to talk on Tuesday with Robert Jeffress. His latest book is A Place Called Heaven, 10 Surprising Truths About Your Eternal Home. Huh, surprising truths. What don't we know or maybe have we uh, de-emphasized? We'll talk about that on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Carla Akins will be my guest. A Pair of Miracles, a story of autism, faith, and determined parenting. We're talking about a pair of brothers, um, both of whom were diagnosed with autism. And it's a remarkable story. Uh, about them and their parents. They'll be joining us, or at least uh, Carla will be joining us on Wednesday. On Thursday, Dr. Jeff Myers will be my guest. The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, Overcoming the Outbreak of Five Fatal 
worldviews. So we're going to challenge uh, our thinking in, in terms of what the scriptures teach as opposed to what's sort of the, the trendy way to uh, think about God. So that's what's coming up uh, this week. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blend for engineering a part of and producing all of today's program. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.